Welcome to The Table. Welcome to The Table is a podcast put on by the good people of Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's an opportunity for us to invite you to sit at a table with us as we have conversations about things that we find interesting or helpful in our journey with God. My name is Thomas Thompson. I'm your host, and I'm here today with my co-host, J.M. Defogey. Hello. Hey, and we are in the middle of this season having a conversation about one of the most interesting and helpful things that we've ever discovered, and that is the Bible. And so we're going to be diving back into that conversation right now. So Thomas, you said something about Jesus being your hermeneutical lens. And one of the things that I love about that is if you read sort of the early church fathers, that starting with Paul and sort of moving on, that was their lens, right? The early church fathers are going... Oh, well, what does Psalm say about Jesus? What does the, what do the, what do the prophets say about Jesus? And there's this, you could almost say, if you take the cross, right? People are looking back through the cross at the Old Testament and seeing, I mean, that's where we get a lot of our, again, we're, we have the luxury of standing 2000 years removed from this event and having one of the things that I love about the Gospels is they give us four different views of Jesus, right? Each evangelist is writing for a different yeah. reason to a different crowd. And we actually get four sort of different views of salvation, right? Mark is the Messiah will ransom his life for many. And Luke is Christ was born a savior. He lived a savior and he returned to life as a savior. And Matthew is Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. We have the advantage of 2,000 years of people going, well, let's stitch all of this together into one arc of salvation. So when you say, Jesus is my hermeneutical lens, I love it, but I may not actually be, I may have a different Jesus lens. So what what do you mean by Jesus is your hermeneutical lens? Uh, I may also have a different lens than I even know what I'm saying. But um, I had a pastor when I was growing up that would always kind of give this advice in, in preaching. He'd say, Wherever you are in script, wherever you start in scripture, make a beeline for the cross. That was kind of his. If you're if you're going to preach through a series of exits, like we did at our church years ago, yeah. um, that is great as long as we understand the story that Exodus is a part of. Exodus yeah. is not just well. Here's some moral lessons we can learn about Moses, and and here's some things about following God and about faith. We we can learn those things, but the main reason Exodus is there is to be the next chapter in this one story. Mm-hmm. And the story is centered around Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I didn't put him there. God put him there. Now, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. I'm the one who gets to judge. God himself is not even going to judge. I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit on this throne. I mean, it's this amazing thing. And so, um, now, I don't believe that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. I do see confusing things that we'll talk about in a second, but sometimes... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are always on the same page. I don't think these three are arguing with each other. I don't think Jesus showed up and was like, man, my father was really a jerk, uh, but I'm much kinder. No, no, no. But we are told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when I say Jesus is my hermeneutic, what I'm saying is this. um, Everything that, that we, everything that God is, Jesus represents to us. Whatever Jesus said to us is what God would say. Whatever, however Jesus would treat someone is what God would do. And mm-hmm. so it's important to me to look through uh, what did Jesus say about yeah. this? How did he interpret this law? How did he treat this person? 
And when I, I was looking, I wrote these down. Um, when I talk about my hermeneutic being Jesus Christ, I believe that when the Bible talks about the Word of God, it's talking about Jesus, the living Word of God. He is the message. Uh, the Word of God is never just some stuff God said. It's always a message that's to be heard and responded to. And Jesus is the embodiment of that. He is the living Word. And so I want to look through the written Word of God through the lens of the living Word of mm -hmm. God. So, like, it seems like Jesus summed up some things. He, Matthew 7, Jesus says, I want you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we'll call it kind of the golden rule. So there's this, this hermeneutical lens that um, when I am confused about what this passage might mean, I want to look through that lens at it. Mm -hmm. Or when he says a couple times in Matthew 22, you are to love God, you are to love your neighbor, all the prophets and all hang on these things. Or even when he says in John 13, the last supper, love one another as I have loved you. So these are these are powerful statements that I look at and I go, it, it, there's a lot of the Bible I don't understand, but I do kind of understand these. So I'm going to look at the parts of the Bible I don't understand through the lens of the parts that are more clear or we do. And a, and a side corollary to that is I want to be super careful about building an entire theology off of one verse. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you choose to pronounce his name, is someone can have the perfect exegetical method. And if it does not produce love of God mm. or love of others in those who listen to them, then he's failed at speaking and scholarly work because that is not how any scripture should be interpreted or received. He he draws it back to that. Love God, love others. That is the whole of the law. And I'm like, we sometimes very often forget that we, we come with the proper methodology or we think we have the perfect interpretation or heard the perfect interpretation of scripture. But if it doesn't produce love of God or love of others and those who hear us quote it, then we are not using scripture properly. I, I, I love that. So our one-time guest, Jonathan Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan has been reading through this book, and he, he uses the term a static hermeneutic versus sort of a redemptive hermeneutic that he drew out of out of the, the book that he's reading. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about that? Do you want me to? I know we were... Uh, uh, so I, I'm not as familiar with... Uh, a redemptive hermeneutic. He he has that language, and you might have that language better than me. There's a there's a phrase I think that might be helpful to begin with. That is just a progressive hermeneutic. Yeah, we just see that even from Genesis one to Revelation. Oh yeah. I think where Jonathan's bringing up is there's this thought that maybe there's some continuing. Yeah, I think I think Jonathan's scripture. thing was that there there is a way to look at calls to action in scripture, and timeless or static versus kind of cultural truths like you were saying that there are there are things in there that were for the time and the way Jonathan sort of put it was when we look at something in scripture that is not that is that seems to be a prescription to do something and we're looking through it through our lens of does it produce love of God love of others is it behind the culture or is it in front of the culture okay so, for example, the laws of how women were treated in the Old Testament, those laws actually sit ahead of where there were, they were at in a lot of places in culture. Mm -hmm. And 
kind of showing that, you know, and even as we get into, you know, how we see Christ interacting with women in Luke and how we see Paul talking, there's this arc of, you know, progression in front of culture where we can say, I, I think this is the arc that God was taking humanity on. Yes. There are also things where they appear behind the culture. And if they if they appear behind the culture, then maybe that's a call for us as Christians to kind of remain there. Where, where culture is at sort of be like, no, this is, this is someplace where God is calling us to remain fast. Another good one where, where Christ or the scripture is ahead of the culture is in how it dealt with bond servants and servants and slaves. There's a reason why the church eventually gets to the point where we're like, man, everyone's made in the image of God. This is across the board something we should be fighting. Mm -hmm. And that freedom for humans is the goal, right? It's why it's why our church is so involved in, in things like Exodus Road. We believe that the arc of scripture is towards healing and freedom for for everyone. And it's not that... God just decided after 5,000 years, you know, maybe the slavery thing, maybe that's not a good idea. You know, the thought I think would be is that God was like, no, from the beginning, I've always thought this is wrong how we treat people. Yeah. And uh, I'm dealing with cultures that are much, that are in their infancy, in their, in their, in their science, in their sociology, in the ways that they treat women. Um, and I'm going to just continue to move the needle forward. Yes. And he's always been doing that. Mm -hmm. And so it, sometimes it, we could look way back in the Old Testament and go, wow, seems like some of these rules about women, for example, seem very restrictive to us in 2019. But again, we have to go back to that culture and go, they were very protective. They were very empowering. I mean, these, these are great. Uh, these are offering rules for people who would have no recourse, who would have no protection for a society like that. So we, ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve, yeah. And I think we, uh, this is just, this is a little soapbox for me. I'll, I'll set it down, I'll step up, and then I promise to step back off afterwards. Is This is a this is sort of indicative of maybe the Enlightenment or, or modernism, postmodernism, where we say our lens is the only lens that we should be looking at across the, uh, the scope of history. And our standard is the only standard that should ever be measured against. And I'm not saying that we haven't come a long way, but to say that, oh, the Bible is restrictive because of some of the ways that it has been used or because of some of the cultures that are portrayed in there compared to 2019. We didn't get to 2019 without mm -hmm. the arc of scripture influencing us. We talked about in episode one how the scriptures as we see them, right, the Bible is one of the most or is the most influential book across history. Mm -hmm. And Western culture has only gotten to the point where we're at because of the values and the morals and the stories that are told through scripture. And so, yeah, it's hard to go back to the Old Testament and go, you know, if I go to war and I find a woman that I like, I, I, I've just got to, you know, set her aside for a bit, pay a good price, and then I can make her my wife. That's rough. And that is not where I would say any church, even with a literal interpretation of scripture, would go, well, that's the rule. Right. But at the time, that was actually ahead of the curve compared to Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and Canaan. It was a standard that even Israel failed at. 
right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. there's a long history of Israel failing at the standards that God put in front of them. Um, we talked a lot about before we started recording that Superman was one of my favorite lines from Man of Steel. It's like, well, you will serve to run ahead of them. And they'll stumble and they'll fall, but they can pick themselves up and look to you and come into the sun. I think that was probably the moment where Superman, as the Messiah figure, really echoes sort of even Christ and Christ's story for us. That Yeah, we're going to fail. Church is not filled with perfect people. We keep stumbling and having to pick ourselves up and run towards the standard of the cross. I felt that whole scene was very Isaiah. Mm. In its language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. So to quote another movie, what do you mean our people? Well, <laughs> uh, my soapbox there is, is it, you just said something which I totally agree with, but I, it's, it's funny we just throw out that phrase. So we assume that our interpretation, who's in the our camp? Mm. Are you talking about um, Protestants? Are you talking about Catholics? Are you talking about Lutherans? Are you talking yeah. about Evangelicals? Are you talking about North Americans? Um, you know, we're under, we're undergoing something right now where the, the evangelical world is exploding in Africa, in South America. That is where the church is just blooming and blossoming. And we evangelicals in America are becoming quickly, and we may already be there, the minority. Mm-hmm. So now, now it's going to be interesting to see what happens when, when uh, other cultures begin to dominate some of the narrative of what these things mean. Yeah. And so... That's just interesting to say our interpretation. And I think I think for me when I when I use that I, I'm definitely using Western evangelical Christian because that's kind of where I come from. But I even read an article this week where it says that Wicca and paganism has exploded in college campuses over the last decade. Huh. It's a rejection of evangelical Christianity in North America, and it's I mean we could talk about that. I mean, that's that's a whole a whole different. Right, but but the, just the thought, I guess, is that I am trying to be more gracious in my life uh, with the phrase "our interpretation." Or even saying the Bible says. I remember yeah. again, Billy Graham used to always say, "The Bible says," and he would say this, um, and he was right. I'm not saying anything bad about Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, but just saying the Bible says what we often are saying is my interpretation of the Bible yes. says my tribe interprets the Bible to yeah. say, and one thing that breaks my heart is how often uh, when someone brings up something that might be outside of that tribe, it's dismissed as, well, that's clearly heresy. Yeah. Well, gosh, these 40 million people that are in this denomination don't think that's heresy, right? Like, but it sure got it sure got elevated quickly. And so uh, one thing that I began to practice is when I was in seminary, you know, you have your approved kind of book list to read from. And I would only I would read those, and then as I got out, I would only read books by those authors, mm-hmm. or if those authors were quoted on the back of a book. Okay, all right, John Piper is on the back of this book. It's okay. Yeah. Um, probably one of the I think the thing that has helped my spiritual journey the most in the last twenty years is deciding to read books and listen to people who may have a different take. Yeah. Doesn't always mean it changes mine, but it, it, it helps me either understand what why I believe what I believe, or in some cases maybe modify that, or at least have some grace to go, oh, I, I guess you're not going to hell because you have a different view right. of how exactly communion works. I was actually that was that is the 
that is the one that I was actually just thinking of right now. Um, because that is a big one for evangelicals. And I would say that over the arc of the last five years, my views on what is actually going on, the Lord's Supper, are less mainline evangelicalism and probably closer to you know Catholic or Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And I believe that when we sit at that table, it's the same table from the Last Supper to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And there is mm-hmm. something incarnate that is going on there. And I realized that is like that's not how I was raised. I was raised like I was told so often that there's nothing special going on here that it started to make me think, well, maybe there is something special going on yeah. here because we're constantly being told there's nothing special here. It's just a memory, but it doesn't. We can grow in richness as we allow ourselves to be exposed to to other other ways pe- people have read some of these things and not be so quick to just say, well, our interpretation says, and therefore, uh, it means this. So there's this book called Reading the Bible with Giants. And he's a big proponent of something called reception theory, which is basically a hermeneutic of saying, how has the church interpreted the scripture over the ark? Mm-hmm. And the example that he uses is Jonah. He's like, we read Jonah and the whale. And we're like, yeah, you know, I've seen Star Trek four. I've seen Shamu. I know what a whale is. This whale is doing God a favor to teach Jonah a lesson. But when you look over the arc of history, like, you know, in Hebrew, it's just a big fish. By the time Jesus quotes the sign of Jonah, the word he uses is more akin to the Greek word for sea monster. Mm-hmm. There's this idea of this chaotic beast that rose up from the depths and, and swallowed Jonah. When we get to Luther and the what are called in medieval times were called the bestiaries. Now they're just reserved for D&D. But the yeah. bestiary was this, this book of creatures as they it wasn't a scientific book it was more of a symbolic book of like hey yes here's a wolf here's a bear here's a unicorn you know what they saw in in scripture and luther's commentary on jonah is chilling it is jonah descending down into hell and god raising him up from hell which makes our interpretation of how we see jesus using the sign of jonah change Calvin comes along, and at that point, we actually have, like, scientific studies. And so Calvin's trying to figure out what fish swallowed Jonah, what fish was large enough. Well, that's seven different interpretations of Jonah that are, in some ways, like, I don't think things have the emotional impact of Luther's, this creature dragged Jonah into hell versus it's a whale. There's an emotional weight to some of these other interpretations that our scientific interpretation of Jonah doesn't carry. Oh, it's a whale. Like, I love whales. Like, yeah. protect the whales. And so you look at Jonah, and uh, if, if you were to say, Thomas, is Jonah true? Absolutely. Yeah. It is true in everything that it is saying and affirming. And and so, but let's back up and say, what is it saying and affirming? And, and where does it fit in this arc of this story? And what's the point of Jonah? Yeah. The point of Jonah is God saying, I and committed to redeeming people that you don't think I should redeem. It's showing his continual wooing, following after his people, calling them away from judgment, calling them towards himself, and in our own reluctance to to respond to him. This came up in Sunday school, and it was something I had not thought about. Like, I had thought about the, the fact that there's some irony there, right? God has sent 30 prophets to Israel, and they continue to turn away. He sends one prophet to the wickedest city in the world, yeah. and they all repent. 
And so there's an indictment of Israel there. Yeah, yeah. But Jonah, what if, what if some of Jonah's reluctance is, because he knows God will forgive Assyria if they turn. What if that's some of Jonah's reluctance? Why are you sending me to Assyria when obviously Israel needs me more? That added something to the story that I hadn't considered before. So I I always understood that the reason that Jonah was swallowed by this creature was because the creature's skin was impermeable on the outside. Oh, right. <laughs> but if Jonah could just get inside with a sword, he, he could, could cut his way out. That's right. And then... That's my favorite part of that opening of Guardians, where he's like, no, it's the same thickness it's on either side. Thickness. Every DM has been in that situation where they've gone. Hey, we're going to press pause on this conversation right now and pick it up again in the next episode. I hope that today's sitting at the table with us has sparked some different thinking for you and maybe some different things for you to explore or even generate conversations with others around you around another table. But we welcome you to come back with us next episode as we'll pick this up then.